Hey, I hope you're well today. For a little while now, I've been thinking about starting up something new uh, to follow up on our messages on Sundays and Wednesdays. I have for a number of months recorded videos leading up to a number of Sundays, and I simply called them looking ahead because all they're doing is looking ahead to what I'm going to be preaching and teaching on and perhaps a, a visit and speaker or some special event. Uh, now I want to do something else and I don't know what to call it so if you have any suggestions then uh, comment let me know uh, and whereas the other videos look ahead this one's going to be looking back and so throughout the week I want to post a few videos um, each of them will have a different focus one will look back on the Sunday morning message the other on the Sunday evening message and then uh, as time and uh, opportunity allows we'll look back on the Wednesday evening message and I want to just serve several purposes um, one is to allow me to perhaps bring out something that I didn't have time to go into uh, on the, the day of the message, uh, to just uh, confirm some things that I taught and to remind those who were here of some of the truths that we learned together. And it just gives me the opportunity to continue the conversation about God's Word as we go through the week. And, and hopefully it will be something that's a help. My goal is to keep these uh, videos and audio podcasts down to about 10 minutes, uh, but hopefully it will generate some conversation and discussion as we uh, post them on YouTube primarily. We'll link to it also on the Facebook page. Uh, this isn't intended to replace our meetings here at the church. Nothing we do online has the intention of trying to replace actually being here in person. Uh, there's nothing that can replicate the fellowship with other believers and although I understand there are some who can't be here because of physical ailments or because of vacation or work or other reasons, uh, the ideal is that we are together, face to face, and able to worship uh, the Lord. And so what I want to do is just share a few thoughts now from Sunday morning's message. And on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the Gospel according to Mark. And the context of the passage, the, the verses we looked at, were from Mark chapter 3, and it was verses 31 through 35. And the context is that Jesus has been facing repeated opposition from his family, from his friends, and from his foes. Everywhere Jesus turned, there seemed to be those who were against him. And in this particular portion, Mark uses a technique which we see all through his uh, account of the gospel, and that's that he'll give us um, three different stories. And each one of those stories will have a central theme, and the central theme is normally found in the middle story. So what we have in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, is that a multitude comes together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Jesus and the disciples are so busy ministering, they don't have time to eat. And then in verse 21, it says, and when his friends heard of it, and friends there, it's a word that means those who are alongside him. So these were his, his closest companions, his family and friends that he grew up with in Nazareth. It says, And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Lay hold on there means to seize. They were literally wanting to grab him and bring him back to Nazareth, because they said he's beside himself. He's, he's crazy. He's mad. Then we come to the story in verses 22 through 30 about the scribes. They've come down from Jerusalem and they accuse him of performing the miracles that he performs through the power of Beelzebub. And this was a, a terrible accusation in so many ways and to see more about why that was so dreadful you need to go back a couple of weeks to the morning when we went through that. 
Uh, but Beelzebub was known as being a false god, one of the worst gods, and, and really the god of filth uh, is one of the translations for that, interpretations of that word. And so here we have the sinless son of God who's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the religious leaders of the day say that rather than him being sinless and holy and separate, undefiled, uh, they say that he is empowered by the god of filth. And uh, just a, a terrible, terrible accusation. And, and Jesus responds to them. He tells them that it's, it's illogical, it's insensical, that um, I think I may have just made a, a word up there. It was nonsense that Jesus, by Satan, could be casting out Satan. And there's a, a very powerful revelation in verse 27. He says, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then will he spoil his house. So you have the strong man, Satan, who is ruling in people's lives and in this world, but there is a stronger man, Jesus Christ, and he binds the enemy, and he frees us, as Jesus himself was free, to serve by the power of God. Uh, and then it goes into the description of the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and the focus there was in verse 28, I believe, that all sins shall be forgiven. The emphasis shouldn't be upon what some may believe is unforgivable, but on the phrase that all shall be forgiven, or all can be forgiven. So that's the context. We then then come to the final story uh, in verses 31 to 35. It says, There came then his brethren. So as Jesus finishes dealing with the scribes and Pharisees, there are more opponents that arrive. But these aren't his enemies. These are his family and friends, his mother and his, his brethren. And, you know, why was Mary here seemingly in opposition to um, Jesus? And I think there's a number of reasons for it. One may have been that she still fully didn't understand who Jesus was. Uh, it may also have been that she was remembering the prophecy that a sword would, would pierce her heart also. And perhaps she is now seeing the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus would be uh, revealed to be the Son of God. And that would result in his suffering and death. And, and in her own way, her motherly instinct to, to protect him. Um, is trying to move him from the course that God the Father had for him, which of course is wrong, but I think from a mother's point of view we may understand it. His brothers were told in John chapter 7, his brothers didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, uh, but thankfully later on in life they did come to understand after Jesus died, rose again and ascended on high, we find the brothers of Jesus with the apostles and the other disciples in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The multitudes in verse 22 sat around the house and, and in the house and it's so full that the, the, the mother and, and the brothers of Jesus can't reach them and so they seek for Jesus. Uh, one commentator says that that phrase, seek for thee, is used about 10 times in Mark and every time it's of those who would divert Jesus from the course that God the Father had put him on. And Jesus responds in a way that on the outset maybe seems a little bit rude. He answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? What I want you to understand from the outset here is that this passage is not about uh, trying to, to pit the earthly family against the spiritual family, but rather it's an invitation for the earthly family to be drawn into a closer relationship with him, into something which is deeper, deeper and, and eternal. And in verse 34, it says that Jesus looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. He looked at the, the disciples, the followers that were there, and he says, 
you're my mother, you're my brother. And he's saying, you, you are my family. In verse 35, he goes on to say that whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. And the will of God is to know Jesus Christ. John reveals this in his account of the gospel that, you know, the will of God is that we would recognize Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, the only sacrifice for sin, the only Savior from sin, the only sacrifice acceptable. And so what we have here is a uh, an early uh, understanding of the spiritual family that God was going to establish uh, and that we know of as the church. And family has always been important in God's word. You know, God, first of all, created a family, Adam and Eve. And it's important to note that family doesn't begin with the birth of a child. Uh, children add to a family. But as soon as there is a husband and wife who come together uh, and they begin a life together, they are a new family unit. And children add to a family, but couples don't need children in order to be a family in God's eyes. So we have Adam and Eve, and then all through the Old Testament, the, the revelation of God and of his purpose in this world, it comes to us through family events, through the, the events in the lives of couples, uh, through Abraham and Sarah who begin that first uh, family that God was going to use that then grows into the nation of Israel, and, and then that family uh, is then uh, recorded for us all the way through the Old Testament. And within that big family of Israel, we have individual families that are highlighted, such as Boaz and, and Ruth. And then when Jesus came into this world, when God the Father sent his only begotten son into the world, he, he didn't send him to an organization. He didn't send his only begotten son to the synagogues or to some political entity, but he entrusted his only begotten son to a family. And when Jesus would begin his public ministry, he would do so uh, by attending a wedding and performing a miracle at the beginning of a new family. So family is, is very important. And that is the example that is uh, the church is related to in so many ways. God makes of us, when we become children of God, a, a new family, a spiritual family. Again, not in competition with our earthly families, uh, but it's complementary to and you know our churches our spiritual families are strongest when they are made up of strong earthly families uh, those uh, blood connections that we have in in this world so what do we know about the family of god uh, well three truths that we highlighted on sunday the, the abc's of the family of god was the title of the message the first a then is adoption god adopts us into his family and we have adoptions in the Bible. Pharaoh essentially adopted Moses. But think of it, you know, here you have this innocent baby that's found abandoned as far as uh, they were concerned, and he was adopted. But as soon as Moses stepped out of line, he was, it was made clear to him that he really was never one of them, and he was sent out from them, and he became an enemy of Pharaoh and his family. Uh, historically, we know that uh, the, you know, uh, Caesar adopted uh, Augustus, uh, but he didn't adopt him because he wanted to, but because he needed to. He needed an heir that would follow after him. But when God adopts us into his family, he adopts us as his enemies and makes us his children. And he adopts us not because he needs anything from us, but because he wants to, because he loves us. 
And he doesn't adopt us uh, on conditions. But as soon as we become a child of God, we have all the privileges and positions of the child of the king. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And this is a wonderful truth that once we become his child, he will never cast us away. Nothing can remove us from his hand. So we're adopted. And because we're adopted, we belong. We belong to something that's wonderful. The church is, is important. The local assembly of the church is vital because Jesus Christ bought it with his own blood because it has such a tremendous purpose. Ephesians 4 talks about us being the what Wesley referred to as the divine theater of God, that principalities and powers look into the church and they see the wisdom of God uh, displayed. And because of the mission that we have as a church, to take the gospel to our neighborhoods, our communities, to the entire world. And the sea refers to comfort. We ought to comfort one another. There are so many one another passages in the New Testament. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to comfort one another with the words of God. We are to exhort one another, encourage one another, love one another. So as God has sent Jesus, his son, into this world to be the only sacrifice acceptable, the only savior from sin, once we become his own, once we admit we're sinners in need of a savior, we realize that judgment and hell for all eternity is what we face if we don't receive Christ. We confess ourselves as sinners and when we pray for God to forgive us because of Jesus Christ, at that moment we're adopted, we belong, and we have a responsibility and opportunity to comfort other believers. And there's so much more beside. But in this passage, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is introducing uh, the concept of the spiritual family which would come to fruition through the church. Again, uh, wonderful truths here for us to consider and for us to apply. And if you have any questions, then please do get in contact. If you have any thoughts, then please do let me know. And of course, we would love to see you here in person at Bedford Bible Church so that we can worship the Lord together and grow in grace and knowledge through His Word. Well, I pray that God blesses you and God blesses these thoughts to our hearts and that we will uh, represent and be a witness of our wonderful Savior as we go through this.